I don't know if I have an exhortation or teaching or preaching. I, I, I don't know. I know I had in 25 years of preaching the gospel. I've never had a day like today where literally I was just taught all day long and corrected all day long. I set my mind to several times in the last few years to understand God's grace. And a question not answered created a hunger in me more and more to understand the grace of God, the true biblical grace, not the grace slaughtered or defined in error, but the true grace of God. And I talked to Gary Carpenter several months ago, and I asked him a question about grace, why Paul would always mention the introduction of every letter. He would say, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. And then at the end of every epistle, he would say, may, the, may Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the grace of God be with you. He says that almost every one of his epistles. I'm sure you know that. And I said, Gary, why does he say that all the time? He said to me, Homer, I've asked myself that question over and over again. So when you find out, let me know. So I set out on a mission because I'm tired, really, of being stagnant in the back when there's worship up here. Now, I do sit back there for a personal reason most of the time. For me not to rejoice when somebody gets healed and sit down in a chair, that's immature and carnal. And I have for a long time wondered about the grace of God and Gary's non-answer sent me out on a mission to understand grace, biblical grace. So for the last few months I've been in grace over and over again, just the same epistles, certain chapters over and over and over again. Why? Because I should not sit in back of this church with my arms crossed when Pastor Bronk is testifying that someone just got healed. It would break my heart. Again, I reiterate, there's personal reasons why I sit in the back sometimes, and most of you know I'll just leave it at that. But I've been in search me, maybe you're ahead of me when it comes to understanding grace. Maybe you have more insight than I do. It's possible. But I do know that today, while the Holy Ghost was putting this image inside of me, I prepared with much weeping and rejoicing as I was being taught the Word of God by the Holy Ghost. Not to teach it to you, but I was being taught because I was unhappy with myself. Why can't you enter into worship? You do it in seasons. But God's not a season. He's perpetual, man. He's perpetual in me. What is it in me that doesn't hang around my brothers and my sisters? What is it in me that hasn't held a conversation with Gay or Marty, a full conversation in 20 years? What is it that I've never invited Rex and Marcia to my house? What is it in me? What is it? After 25 years, I don't know some of you. And that's a crying shame. And vice versa. We see each other here. But I can't read, but I can hear the Bible. In Acts 2 and 3, they broke bread together. 
Jesus went in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from house to house, eating and sitting down with sinners and people. And let's be honest. We haven't been very strong in that area in our church. It's not a correction. It's not a rebuke. It's just grace has changed. The understanding of grace has changed my mind and renewed my thought process. I went and had dinner, me and my wife with Sarah and Harry the other day. You know what? They are some cool people. Sarah showed out she's truly half Mexican. <laughs> Little, sweet, beautiful Sarah that leads worship says you are not true in yourself if you do not double dip in food. I like that. Sweet Sarah said if you don't double dip, you're not cool. Harry eats like a pig. He stuck his hand in my French onion soup and took cheese out of my plate with his hand. And he ate it with my spoon. We had a blast. Didn't we, Harry, Sarah? We had a blast. Great time. Sarah has wisdom to offer. She gave me some great advice. Said, Homer, I like the way you preach, but slow down when you preach. You preach too fast. Yeah, I know you want to say amen to that. <laughs> I know, amen. <laughs> and you know what? The Holy Ghost had been showing me that for a long time. But now hearing it from Sarah, I said, she is so right. It doesn't do me any good to know the word of God if I'm going to outdraw the Holy Ghost. See, the thoughts are in my spirit and in my heart, but if I'm quicker than him to articulate, I didn't wait on perfection. The truth of God, but I override the truth, override the articulation of his word because I don't get too emotional and too loud. And that was some great advice that she offered me. Along with my buddy Stephen in Alabama, he says, I concur. Sarah's right. I said, oh, thanks. It's a conspiracy against me, but they're so right. Because for some reason, I got a halfway decent brain and scripture sticks to my mind. But when I get too emotional in the pulpit, what sticks to my mind and what I know in my heart, it doesn't come out because I'm too fast to talk. To allow the word inside of me to be articulated. That's going to stop. I told Sarah, I said, you watch. Thank you, Sarah. If I start talking too fast, just <coughs> cough and tell me to slow down. But I had a real good time with him, man. We, had a, we laughed. We ate. I got the bill. <laughs> but we had a blast. And I hope it's, it's going to be the sign of things to come between us and all of you. It's the way it should be. And I'm guilty, man. I'm guilty of it myself. Stephen asked me along my buddy Stephen in Alabama, a real good personal friend of mine. He says to me, Homer, how is this person? How is that person? He wasn't being nosy, just trying to see how your personalities were. I said, well, that's a good question. I really don't know them. I don't hang around them. He said, what? I, I, they're good, solid Christian people, but I don't fellowship with them much. Why? 
I said, that's a great question. I said, they never invite me. He said something so profound and simple. Well, do you ever invite them? Well, no, quit asking me that. But that's going to change. I had Black in the Beauty or the other day. I had beautiful Jacoby, uh, Jasmine, and Natalie with Alex and Black and the, the Black and Be the Black Beauties, and they're the beautiful women, and their husbands are ugly. They were at my house, Renee and Alex and Carl. We had a blast. We cooked. We laughed. We talked. We had a blast. And the week after, I had lunch with my friends. Sari and Sari, Harry and Sarah. <laughs> you forgot to cough, Sarah. But uh, I've been studying grace and it's changed my outlook. It hadn't changed my outlook. It's done something to me, man. Grace of God. Being strong in the grace that is in the Lord Christ Jesus. And today, I, let me rephrase, I didn't put the message together. All day long, it's like sentence after sentence, thought upon thought was just coming from God. I could feel myself weeping, understanding his grace, understanding his blood and what he did for me. And I just cried for an hour. I prayed and cried and received understanding. I just prayed and cried and and I thought about you guys a lot. Let me tell you something. If we think we're drawing closer to God and your brethren in the church are not your desire, you are not as close to God as what you think. Because loving you is a complete fruit of loving him. And if you can't see that, there's a slight glitch in your armor. Read the epistle. You might say, well, I'm about prayer. All I do is pray. You know what? I shouldn't have to say this in church. And you might get mad at me. But I think you understand my thought and my sentiment here. You might say, well, I spent my days praying. I'm a prayer warrior. Well, you know what? I'll match my duration against yours any time of the day. And you are my desire. You are my, those hours of prayer, you're becoming my desire. So ask yourself, why is not my brethren and sisters my desire? Do you fully understand grace? Do you fully understand the true grace of God in which we abide in? If not, go on a journey to understand his blood. Go on a journey to understand him in intimacy. I'll say this. I've been real inspired these last couple of years by Miss Gay. I've been real inspired by her. She comes in here and she goes to work in worship. I've seen a tremendous change in her life. That's inspiring. Because in here, she goes to work. The praise is a hallelujah. They spring forth. And they're encouraging. 
saying all that, I say this. Gary's non-answer of the question asked me about grace began something deep in me to search out why he said what he said. A short story, not to mention what I used to do, but how my wife acted when I did what I used to do. An image inside of me that you might not understand. You haven't been with her. She's been my friend since the seventh grade. I met her in a skating rink. She had a big old afro. And I've known her for 38 years. And what I say about her, it might not be personal to you. But you haven't been there. There's an image inside of me. And what we're after tonight is the true meaning of grace, the true image of grace according to the scripture. I think the church overall has failed because the corporate meaning of grace outside of the understanding through the Holy Ghost is in error. Now, I know a good man in Alabama is a good man, one of the meekest men that I know. And I asked him, I said, Pastor, What's your definition of grace? And now there is partial truth to what he said. He said, grace is there till you change. That's partially true for the little sarcastic sin. But as far as deal breaker sins, that's not a true statement. There is no progression out of adultery. There is no progression out of a computer. That's instantaneous through regeneration. But grace is not taught right. It's taught wrong. That's why the greatest advice I've ever heard was when Pastor Dave said, read a book at least 50 times. James 3 and 1 says, be not many masters, interpretation, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You better believe I'm going to get it right. Because I'm going to be judged more sincere, more because I have a mic in my hand and I present it to you, the word of God. I better be correct or on my journey to be correct with this, with this gospel. I better be. And for people to say it's all about grace, yes, it's about grace, but the grace according to the gospel. Colossians calls the word of the truth of the gospel. Colossians 1 calls grace. He says the word of the truth of the gospel. Two sentences down it says is the grace of God in truth. He called the grace of God in truth the word of the truth of the gospel. You get that? Paul said in Colossians this is the word of of the truth of the gospel. Then he called the word of the truth of the gospel, the grace of God in truth. So the gospel is the grace of God, how Jesus lived. The true grace of God is not found anywhere else, but inside the gospel and in the epistles, the true grace of God. I have never read in the gospels or in the epistles where grace has been permission to sin. Never, never, ever. It says in 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter chapter 5, by Silvanus, 
faithful brethren, as I have supposed, I have written briefly and exhorted that this is, this is, this is the true grace of God in which we stand. The Greek says, this is the true grace of God in which we abide in. What's the true grace of God? Chapter one through chapter five is the true grace of God. This is how people that have a lit candle, Christ in us, oh, but glory, this is how we live. Chapter one through chapter five of first Peter. That is the true grace of God. And please find me in the true grace of God that the apostle Peter wrote in first Peter, where we're given an exemption to sin. It says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having a conversation honest among the Gentiles. While they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works glorify your Father, which is in heaven. He said, abstain, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Do you know what the word abstain means? Don't do it. Where is there a progression out of that? Where's the progression? He said, this is the true grace of God in which we stand. What's the true grace of God? Peter, chapter one through chapter five of the book of first Peter. That's the, find me, find me in the scripture where we're given a green light to sin because it's all by grace. You're not going to find it in context. You can make your own context. But it is heresy, blasphemy, and doctrines of devils. Sarah, I'm not stuttering. I took your advice. What I know is flowing out. Grace has been slaughtered. It's been defined in error. Now I know why the apostle Paul, no, Rewinding now, quick five minutes regarding not these get your mind off of this. This is not about what I used to do. It's about my wife's conduct in the things that I used to do. See, to you, it's not personal. To me, it's personal. I've never seen anyone like her. Now you're saying to yourself, well, you got to say that, Homer, because, uh, She's your wife and husbands should say nice things about their wife. That's what you think, but that's not my sentiment. Mine is, I truly love this lady. I can't go to sleep at night sometimes unless she's touching me. Touches my back. My, I said, just touch me, baby. I can't sleep. She just touches me. And I go to sleep. She has been there for so much in my life. She's been so gracious. I like what my friend Phoebe calls it. Phoebe, I call her Brown Pride Jr. She says, I'm going to be hardwired to be a wife. My wife is hardwired. She tells me all I've ever wanted in my life is to be married and have children. Some of you, and that's just her. I'm not saying she's right or wrong. That's just my wife. She's hardwired. I've always wanted to be a wife. Wanted to have four kids. She's had four come out of her womb, and we have two other ones, and one that's in heaven. That's seven kids. She's been so gracious to me in my darkest times of my life. When my dad was with me, my dad had dementia. It was real hard. 
to deal with because when you got dementia, well, God bless his soul. I know he's in heaven because he got born again before he went home. He would go to the bathroom by himself. Number one and two. She dealt with him. There was a husband that couldn't see. And I'll get on my knees and say this. Not directed at anybody before Almighty God. But she has never, in 30 years, raising four kids and two kids that were not her own, ever asked me for me time. Never said, I need some me time. I can't take this wife stuff. Never asked me for me time. Never. Taking care of my dad with dementia. Going on himself, using the restroom. And with a blind husband. Going to the hospital, feeding my dad with a spoon like he was her own dad. You want some more, Homer? Covering up his legs because he was cold. It's incredible. Always there for me when I was a dog. Always gracious to me. Always. See, there's an image inside of me of how gracious she's been with me. We moved in together when she was 18. I was 21. I went and took her from the house. I said, come on, let's go. I'm not proud of that. We don't count that in our years of marriage because you can't because it's fornication. It's not marriage. Make no mistake because you live with somebody don't make you married. <laughs> there is no common law in the kingdom of God. There's a marriage between a man and a woman. There are no alternate lifestyles in the kingdom of God. That's a man-made philosophy. There's man and there's women. And marriage that is holy and sanctified by God the Father is when a man and a woman get married. But even through that, she's always been gracious. Like Phoebe says, hardwired to be a wife. I got to tell her sometimes, because it's all about her husband and her kids. I said, stop. And, and I'm easy. I don't, I'm not in the Mexican culture. Mexicans are hard with their wives about cooking. You're going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You're going to make breakfast. You're going to make lunch. And you're going to make dinner. They're hardcore at that. Me, I could eat eggs every day. Harry said, amen. It, that doesn't bother me. Uh, she doesn't have to cook. I can eat a sandwich. I can, she loves cooking on the grill. That doesn't bother me. I'm not one of them husbands that said, you got to cook. No, I'll eat anything. I don't eat fast food anymore. I've gotten a lot better there, but that's always been her mindset. Hardwired to be a wife. I got to tell her sometimes. I said, look, I'm not going with you to Fort Myers. I'm not going with you to the carnival. You go. You go have fun. You go get on rides, eat cotton candy, eat elephant ears. Go. Don't worry about me. No, no, I'm not going to go. Go. No, I'm not going to go without you. Go, man. Have a good time. Don't worry about me having to use the bathroom or walking me around or watch out for that booth or watch out for that clown or watch out for that cord. You go. Don't worry about me. Go have a good time with your granddaughters. No, I'm not going. Go, woman. She went. So there's an image inside of me of her graciousness towards her husband. There is an image inside of me to me 
It doesn't have to be there for you. It is for me. To me, she's by far the most beautiful woman on the face of this earth, other than Holly Berry. Anyway, <laughs> she is my best friend. If you're married and your wife is not your best friend, something is wrong. Something wrong. If your wife and your kids are not your best friend, something is wrong. So there's an image inside of me. You can't take it from me. She's been with me through the good jobs, through the success, through a good life and finances, to driving a 1999 car, hand me down that they gave me. Driving my dad's old pickup truck because we were in a bind, but never, ever once complained. We're not in that bind anymore, thank God. Didn't make our needs known to anyone. That's not the way the gospel or the kingdom works. But there's an image inside of me of how graceful, how gracious he was towards me. And you can't take that from me. But the image that I have of her and how gracious he was towards me is the image that I should have of my God, man. More than the image that I have of my wife. That's the same image I should have of my God. And a hundred times more. So I began to study grace because I want the image of God and of grace inside of me. I have an image of the graciousness of my wife towards me. I want that. And I'm starting to see the picture. We haven't endeavored. We haven't labored. We haven't toiled for our salvation. That came completely at the expense of his blood. I did nothing 30 years ago. I did nothing. It was by the blood of a perfect sacrificial lamb that redeemed me. Perfection, chastised for my sin and perfection. My friends, that is grace. He allowed himself to be chastised. The wrath of God poured out on him for something that he didn't do because I would be the fruit of his labor. Separated from God. I don't care if you don't believe that you're separated from God or not. You're wrong if you don't believe that. You're wrong. You're cocky. Yes, but you're still wrong. I'm starting to understand the blood. We've been ransomed, redeemed. Purchased, bought by the blood. We've been made, accepted into the beloved through his grace. What did I do? All I did was believe that he was the word of God and that he was manifested to take away my sin. And in him, there is no sin at all. I didn't do nothing. I fell on my knees 30 years ago. And I said, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And my faith Produce grace to become righteous through his grace because of my faith. I did nothing. Instantaneously, eternal life was put inside of me as the Holy Ghost breathed the life of God inside of me. I did nothing. Are you going to tell me I can't stand up in the back and lift up my hands and worship my God when I did nothing to receive eternal life but to believe that he was the word of God? 
I did nothing, 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 nothing. In fact, I was probably half an inch and three seconds from being condemned and in hell when that bullet pierced my head, man. I should have been dead and in agony right now in hell. But the intercession of my grandmother and those that prayed for me was enough to keep me alive. As that bullet pierced the back of my head, left me hairless, a valley of baldness going through the back of my head where the bullet pierced it, and yet I'm here preaching the gospel because of his grace. I wouldn't be here had it not been for his innocent blood, redeemed as a pervert, redeemed through perfect blood. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, by the grace of God, he, he tasted death for all men. By the grace of God, he tasted death. He, being the Christ, he tasted death for mankind. Romans chapter 4, he was offered for my offense. He, the lamb, was offered for my offense and raised for my justification. I did nothing but believe that he was the word of God. I did nothing. Are you starting to grasp grace a little bit? This is the introduction of what the Holy Ghost has been showing me. His blood redeemed me. Innocent blood redeemed me. And it redeemed you. If I can't behold you through his eyes, I have glitches in my armor. If you can't behold me through the eyes of Christ, you have glitches in your armor. By grace are we saved through faith. And it is the gift of God. Perfection hung on a tree. Perfection was pierced. Perfection was chastised. So that I would be a son of God. And his grace, listen to this, his grace made me, made me a beloved. I did nothing. I did nothing. For me to hold a grudge against you, when you were redeemed with the same blood that redeemed me, my friends, I'm putting myself under law. If I can't love you out of newness of life and I'm judging you because of your error, I'm judging you according to Mosaic law. Why? Because the law is all about judgment, condemnation, and not forgiving. So if I resort to that and begin to see you through your error, I know nothing about the mercy and the grace of my God given me or you. That, my friend, is a beam. Acknowledging your moat. 
If I judge you, condemn you, and don't forgive you for your moat, I've acknowledged that my beam is ten times bigger than your moat. But if I abide in the law of liberty, I won't judge you, I won't condemn you, and I will forgive you. And I will not repeat your error to anyone else because of his grace. Because his blood redeemed you and his blood redeemed me. Now I know why the apostles said things that they said, why they wrote things that they wrote in the scriptures. Now I can see why Paul would write about grace in the beginning and write about grace in the end. One thing is for sure, it was a foreign thought to the disciples or the apostles that one could live in habitual sin when you were born again. They didn't have that image in them. It's impossible if we live with a pure conscience to not have mercy and peace multiplied in our life. It's impossible for us to live according to a pure conscience. Second Timothy chapter one. It's impossible for us to live according to a pure conscience and not have mercy and grace and grace multiplied in our life. It's impossible for me to obey the grace of God, the gospel of the kingdom. It's, in, it's impossible for me not to obey the gospel with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and not have grace and peace multiplied in my life. It is an impossibility. That is the true grace of God in which we stand. That is how believers that are born again, we live to obey the gospel of the kingdom. Because we're redeemed by his blood. We're purchased, ransomed, bought, redeemed by his blood. We've been made part of the beloved. We've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light all by grace. A true biblical grace. Not a grace that gives me permission to be mean to you. That is not biblical. In fact, Peter said in verse 2, he did no sin, nor with malice found in his mouth. He said, we got an example to follow. Then he gave us the example that we are to follow. Christ, who did no sin. Listen to the example. Christ, this is the example. The example that you hear, follow it. Who did no sin, nor was malice, nor was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, true grace of God he reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. His own self bear our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead to sin by grace should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. That is a true grace of God that we abide in who did no sin nor was guile found in his mouth. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That is the true grace of God that we abide in, 1 Peter chapter 5. And if we do slip up, Holy Father, I'm sorry. Are you getting the picture of true grace? Now I know, now I know, what was it, Sarah, 2 Peter uh, chapter 4? What were the verses? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
6 through 8. Now I know why Paul said this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Now I know why he said this. Understanding grace now. The true grace of God. Gary said, Paul knew something about grace, Homer, that we just don't know. I concur. That came from Gary Carpenter to me. One of the best teachers that I've ever heard. That's, I haven't heard people over the whole world, but it's going to be kind of hard to, uh, to surpass his teaching ability and his revelation knowledge. I'm sure you concur with that thought. He said, he knew something about grace that I just don't know yet. I concur. So his non-answer to an extent, it brought a challenge inside of me. But I'm going to find out why he said it. I'm going to preach a couple of times in the next month and I'm probably going to preach more and more on grace because there's no way I can cover everything that I've understood of God about grace. Now I know why Paul said what he said in his last epistle in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Remember, we're defining true biblical grace. True biblical grace. He said this, I am not ready, verse 6, to be offered up. Think about that. I'm not ready to be offered up. And the time of my departure is at hand. How many of you know that we're not called to fight? You might not say amen to that. You might say, Homer, you're crazy. We're not called to be soldiers. Is that a true statement to you or is that a false statement? It's a classroom now. Work with me. Are we called to fight and are we called to be soldiers? True or false? What's that? I can't hear you. No, according to the Bible. Are we called to fight? No, we're not. We're not called to be soldiers. We're called to fight a good fight. We're called to be good soldiers. There is a difference. There is a big difference. I think about my friend Sarah and myself. She battles stuff physically. I battle stuff physically. I get tired sometimes. I get tired of not seeing. And I get frustrated. I just asked my wife, just touch me, baby. Let me get my mind off this. I have bad days. I have bad days. I have bad days. I want to see. And you know what? I'm going to see. I need to stop saying. I'm just saying that for teaching purposes. I'll die thanking him for opening my eyes. And Sarah, we're not called just to fight, Sarah. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. Good means moral, honest, wholesome. I'm not ready to be offered up. The time of my departure at hand, I have fought. I fought. I didn't fight, but I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, 
There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, not only to me, but also unto them that love his appearing. Praise God. We get a righteous crown one day. But we have to fight a good fight. Now I know why he said what he said. Oh, he could say that with so much grace and so much clarity. And there doesn't seem to be fear in the letter when he wrote that. He said, I'm done. I've fought a good fight. I've been honest. I've been moral. I've put God's word in my mouth. I didn't contradict biblical truth. I spoke words of the kingdom. I didn't repeat a narrative. I didn't repeat a lie. I repeated the words of the kingdom. I repeated Isaiah 53 when I felt pressure. I repeated the atonement. I repeated the victory that I had in him. That's what I repeated. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept, I have kept the faith. I'm going home. Now, I've been battered and bruised. Now, I'm going to receive a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, not only to me, but to Harry, to Marty, unto Gay, unto Pastor Brown, unto Rosie, unto Robert. We get a crown of righteousness if we fight a good fight. Now I know why he said that. The last epistle that he wrote. Now I know why he said that. Now I understand. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 through what Sarah? 1 through 4. Sarah help me a lot today. Thank you so much Sarah. You and Stephen help me today. Now I understand this statement. And I'm going to keep it. I'm going to share a couple more texts with you. So you can understand more and more. You might know this but. You might not. I understand God's grace. Out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 through 4. He says this. Wherefore. Be strong. The word strong means be. Strengthened. Increase in strength. He said. You therefore. Be strong. In the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. He said be strong. In the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men shall be able to teach other men also. Thou therefore, listen, endure hardness as a good soldier. As a what? As a soldier or as a good soldier? He didn't call me to be a soldier, man. He called me to be a good soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of what? This life. Notice. He said, no man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life. Externally. What am I going to say next? He said, no man that warreth is twisted or entangled with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who called him to be a soldier. He said, be strong, increase in strength through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, the grace that is in Christ Jesus is that Christ Jesus is in me. 
the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Stop. Verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 are in conjunction. They're together. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. How do I endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Tell me, classroom. I gave you the answer in chapter 1, in verse 1 of chapter 2. He said, be strong, increase in strength through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things I've spoken to you amongst many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men that they should be able to teach others also. Same subject. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I can't endure hardness as a good soldier unless I'm strong in his grace. If I'm strong in his grace, buddy, it's on. I'm enduring. You can't endure by being strong according to the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You, you're not enduring, you're failing. Not just in sin. I don't think sin is a problem to most of us here. But negating biblical truth, speaking a narrative is speaking a lie. Contradicting the word of God is a lie. The waves are going to roar, man. The sea is going to rage. The boat will be filled with water. It does not nullify the commandment of our Lord and Savior. We are going to the other side. Sarah, the, waves are, the, 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 the wind's going to roar again, Sarah. The waves are going to rage. Water's going to try to capsize our boat. What we can't say is, Lord, save me. I'm perishing. What we need to do is stand up and say, the Lord said I'm going to the other side. Who told them they were going to perish when God in the flesh said we're going to the other side? So a mild hurricane changed his word? There's power when our eyes are focused on the Lamb of God. How do you know Simon Peter walked on water as a human being when his eyes were focused on the Lamb of God? But the same winds that roared, the same waves that raged, he took his eyes off the Lamb and began to sink. Elements, surroundings, persecutions, afflictions. The word of God stands alone. Who told you you were perishing, man? Who told you you were dying? Who told you that? Didn't I say to you, 11, that we are going to the other side? All Jesus spoke was the word of God. All he did was the will of God. He spoke what the father told him to speak. Son, you're going to the other side. Eleven, or was on that boat, were going to the other side. But it changed because they saw elements. Because they saw a strong wind and a raging wave. 
and water in the boat, yet one was asleep in the brow. The one that said, we're going to the other side, they should have stood up right there, right there. I felt, I felt before, they should have said, the Son of Man says we're going to the other side. The simplicity of the gospel. Imagine that, speaking kingdom words. Homer. So now I know why Paul said what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Not ready to be offered up. Time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is a help for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, not unto me only, but also slow down, unto them that love. You forgot the call, Sarah. Unto them that love his appearing. Wow. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Reiterate. I'm close to being done because I don't want to rush it because I want to keep this up the next couple of times that I preach. I think there's some good stuff in here for me and for you. He said, be strong, increase in strength. The Greek says, be strong in the grace. The word grace is the word charis in the Greek. C-H-A-R-I-S, the word charis. That word charis can mean kindness. It can mean a free gift. It has several meanings in the Greek, the word charis. So be strong in the grace as in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men shall be able to teach men also. Wherefore, according to what I just said in verse 1 of chapter 2, wherefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you don't endure, you're not a good soldier. If you're a good soldier, you endure according to the grace of God. You with me? Now, I'm going to have to show you what that grace is in black and white. It, has, it can be defined in a broad sense, but per text, per 2 Timothy, I'm going to show you what grace is. The simplicity of it. This is why Paul said, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is in us. He said, be strong in that grace. Because if you live according to the grace of God that's in you, you're living according to a pure conscience. If you're living according to a pure conscience, you're enduring. And you are a good soldier. He said, no man that warreth, no man that warreth, same side, entangles himself with the affairs of what? He said, this life, this life in the natural we don't entangle, we're not twisted with the affairs of this life, he said. That it may please him who called him to be a soldier. Why did he say this life? Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Don't be twisted together with the affairs of this life. Why did he say this life? Because a life that we're to be entangled with and twisted together as one 
is eternal life. We're consumed by an eternal life isn't just a life to come. Eternal life is the divine nature. Eternal life is the new nature. When we live out of that eternal life, we're twisted together with it. We're entangled with the affairs of the life inside of us. Not with the life outside of us, but the life of God inside of us. We're entangled. We're twisted with that life. Not with this life, but with this life. We're entangled. We're consumed with the affairs of eternal life. And we're consumed and entangled with the words of eternal life. We're good soldiers because we're enduring. And if we're enduring, we're standing strong in the grace of God. Christ in me, First Colossians, the hope of glory. He's in me. You with me still? Second Timothy chapter 1, what was it again, Sarah? 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Is my wife in here? I'm going to have to help me with that last part, baby. But anyway, here we go. Now we're going to, going to define to you in context what some of the definition is of this grace. It's not the grace that has been preached in the United States. It's not the grace that allows you to get away with sin. Far from it. Romans 6 and 1. Grace does not abound in sin. What did Paul say? God forbid. Grace does not abound in sin. In fact, grace abounded to many through the righteousness of one. Grace saved you and empowered you not to sin habitually. Grace abounded to many through the righteousness of one, the condemnation and the judgment was lifted off of us because grace abounded through the righteousness of one, Lord Jesus. One man's sin, death entered into us. But by the righteousness of one, many were made righteous. Grace, my friend, empowered me not to habitually sin. I'm empowered to not progressively come out of fornication or adultery or a drunkard or on drugs. No, no, no. That power is given immediately. That is grace. Part of it. Romans 6 will give you the definition of grace to an extent. That's not what I'm going to teach, though. We're back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 through what's there? 7 through 10. Thank you, Lord. Help me remember it like you showed me, Lord. Word for word. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor of me, the prisoner of the Lord. Listen to what he said. According to the spirit not a fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind in context. Be not ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ, but nor of me, his prisoner. What was the next part, Sarah? Be thou partakers. What is it? Be thou yes, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. 
deal with the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, which is his spirit inside of us. How do you know? He said, you have not received the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. According to that spirit of God that is in you, you handle the afflictions of the gospel according to that spirit. That's not a fear, but the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God has called us to holiness. Complete holiness. Yielding to his lordship. To the spirit that's not of fear, but the spirit of love, power, and of a sound mind. Be not ashamed of the Lord Jesus, nor me, his prisoner. Be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the grace of God who has called us. He has called us in conjunction with verse 6 with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to our works, but according to what? His own purpose and grace through what, Moeta? I'm sorry, what was it again, baby? Okay, stop. He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose, to his own purpose and grace. He has called us by his purpose and grace. Listen, he has called us by his own purpose to be holy, not according to our works, but according to his purpose, his own purpose and grace. Grace, he has called us by his purpose and grace. Then he goes on to define grace. What was that word again, sweetheart? Which was given. He's defining grace, his own purpose, defining it, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. He's defining grace who called us according to his purpose and his grace given to us by Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Listen to this. What was it again, the second part, baby? But it's now made manifest. We're defining grace now, which is given in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, which was made manifest. It was made manifest according to the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. He told us what grace was. He, by grace, abolished death in us. He abolished spiritual death in us and brought to life, the word Zoe, the God kind of life, he brought it. To what? What you say? No, he brought, he brought life and what? Immortality. Incorruptible. The everlasting life of God. He brought it. Grace was defined. As he 
abolished death in us and brought to light and brought to light the Zoe, the God kind of life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul says, in that grace defined in chapter one, be strong in that grace. In what grace? You, death has been abolished. It's been destroyed in you. The life of God lives in you. Be strong according to that grace. Christ in you, the overglory. Be strong in that grace. What grace? Death has been abolished in Sarah. It's been abolished in Marty. It's been abolished in Abby and Renee. It's been abolished in you. Life and immortality has been brought to light by the gospel. We have no room to fail. Because the grace of God is in us, Christ in me. Death has been abolished, man. Spiritual death has been abolished in Homer and in Sarah and in Rosie. Now the life of God lives there. The Zoe kind of life has been brought to light by the gospel. That's the grace that we stand in. Ephesians 2 calls grace also Grace is the kindness of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. So all that Jesus did was according to God's grace recorded in the Gospels. You want to know the grace of God? Follow the lifestyle of Jesus. Because grace defined in him was the kindness he showed to us. Is what Paul defined grace. The kindness he showed to us. And the kindness he showed to us was the fulfillment. And the doing and the saying of words of the kingdom. He said, be strong in this grace. In what grace, Paul? If you're strong according to this grace, you endure. And if you're enduring, you're a good soldier. And if you're a good soldier, you're not entangling yourself with the affairs of this life, but with the life. Entangling yourself and twisted together with the words of eternal life. Not the life that is. Not the contradictions. Not the busy things of the world. You're entangling and you're twisting yourself with the affairs of life eternal. That we may please him who has called us to be a soldier. So we're not called to fight. We're not called a soldier. We're called to fight a good fight. We're not called the soldier. We're called to be good soldiers, enduring according to the grace of God that's in us. What's the grace? He abolished death and brought life. And what's the word after that? And immortality, incorruptible, everlasting life forever. He brought it to light by the gospel. That's the grace of God that we stand in. If we know that we're dead, that's why, yes, Lord, thank you, Holy Ghost. That's why, that's why I feel so much comfort when I'm hurting and I want to feel better. My wife touches me because there's an image inside of me of how gracious she's been to me. That's why, one of the reasons why 50 days after the resurrection, they were at it, man. They beheld a dead man with the life of God in him. They beheld the gracious life that he lived. They remembered what he did. They remember what he didn't do. They remember what he said and what he didn't say. They knew what they were was lived out in him. 
and it was lived out in him, it could be lived out in them. That, my friends, is the grace of God that we stand in because death has been abolished in us. It's non-existent. Spiritual death is non-existent in me and you because life has been brought to mortality through the light of the gospel. Are you understanding grace a little bit clearer? Re not redefined, but a biblical definition of grace. What he did for us and then what he gave us through grace. He gave me something that would carry me to the end. He gave them something that would carry them to the end where they were right. They were about to be martyred. I mean, think about that. They were writing about their martyrdom. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I'm going to put away this my tabernacle. Even as the Lord has shown me, he was writing to the church, encouraging them to continue in the faith. He wrote about his martyrdom. Paul wrote about his martyrdom. I'm ready to be offered up. Think about it. He's writing about his martyrdom. I'm about to be offered up. He said, imagine that. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought. <laughs> I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. The waves roared. Or the wind roared in my life. The waves raged. And the boat steamed at times like it was going to sink. But I stood up in the grace of God, Paul says. And I lived out of my authority. The grace of God that I live in is when I live according to his grace, I endure. When I endure, I'm a good soldier. When I'm a good soldier, I'm living with a pure conscience. And grace and peace and mercy are multiplied in my life. What the Bible say? God resists the proud. But what? But gives grace to the humble, those that walk with a pure conscience, those that obey the gospel of the kingdom. Galatians says, who has called you? You're so soon removed from the grace of Christ into another gospel. He called the gospel the grace of Christ. The gospel is the glad tidings of Jesus Christ. It's it's how people that are born again live. We fulfill the gospel, the moral code of the incorruptible seed. We keep that, the holiness and righteousness of the word. We keep it. We have a lit candle. We increase in strength by abiding in the grace of God. When we abide in his grace. We endure. When we endure, we are good soldiers, man. Because we're not entangling ourselves with the affairs of this life or the words in life of Christ inside of us. So to me is no contradiction to biblical truth. If he says I'm healed, then I'm healed. Because there's a spirit not of fear, but listen, but of power. It's a word dunamis of love, and of a sound mind. I have a sound mind. Sarah has a sound mind. 
Let's not contradict our disciplined mind by a narrative. I've done it for a long time, man. I'm sick of it. I'm called to be strong according to his grace. And I can't endure lest I live in his grace. And I'm not a good soldier lest I endure. And if I don't endure, I'm entangling myself with the affairs of this life. True grace is to live a life after Christ. According to his kindness shown to us. Ephesians 2, paraphrasing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, I think Sarah said, or something, 7 through 10, or 7 through 10. We're called by his own purpose and grace. What was it again, sweetheart? Never mind. He defined grace. As the abolishment. Of death nature. The assassination. The decapitation. Of a dead nature. And life. The Zoe. The God kind of life. Has been brought to immortality. Through the light. Of the gospel. That's the grace that we stand in. And if we stand according to that life, we're strong in the grace of God. And if we're strong in the grace of God, we will endure. And if we endure, we're good soldiers because we're not entangling ourselves or twisting ourselves with the affairs of this life, but of life eternal. Amen? What time have we got, Sarah? 8.34. Okay. One more and I'm done. What was it, Sarah's First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter what? Three. Ten through twelve. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You remind me. You teach me. You bring to remembrance. Second Timothy, chapter three, ten through twelve. Last one. We're still on grace. Remember what I said in Second Timothy, chapter two, verse one. Be strong in the grace that is what in Christ Jesus. Remember that word. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember that word now, in Christ Jesus. Okay. This last thought. We're pursuing grace, biblical definition of grace. Now I know why Paul said this. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse what again, my friend? 10 through 12. 10 through 12. Thou hast known my doctrine, manner of life. My purpose, my long-suffering, my faith, my charity, my charity, my charity, my charity, patience, persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Listen, all in context, what persecutions, listen, what did he say? What persecutions I what? I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Listen carefully. Remember what I said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I taught you that if you abide in that grace, 
you're enduring because you're obeying Christ in you. And if you're enduring, you are a good soldier. And if you're a good soldier, it's because you're not entangling yourself, you're not twisting yourself with the affairs of this life, but of this life, the gospel of the kingdom. In closing out, we're continuing in grace, true grace of God, that when it's revolved, we don't revolve back again. When we suffer, we threaten not. First Peter chapter 2, but we commit to him who judges righteously, who his own self bear my sins on his body, on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Grace, through the gift of grace, we've been made righteous through eternal life. So it says in 3, 2 Timothy 3, he says, you have known my doctrine and manner of life, my purpose, my long-suffering, my faith, my charity, my patience. What persecutions and afflictions came upon me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord shall deliver me. Listen carefully. For all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What made him strong through all the things, through the persecutions and affliction that he endured? What made him strong to live godly? Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. He was strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What he preached is how he lived. In Christ, I was godly. You know my doctrine. You know my manner of life, he said. You know my purpose, my long-suffering, my faith, my charity. You know my patience. All these things came upon me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured through grace. The Lord delivered me from all this. For all that will live godly through being strong in the grace of God shall suffer persecution. But he stood firm in the very instruction that he told me and you to live in. We grab a hold of grace and have an image of it. We'll never be the same. Some of you guys are heroes of mine. Engage really inspired me the last couple of years. Barbara Fish inspires me. Her husband not born again yet. 
She's always here. Delia is a hero of mine. Lost her husband. She's still a fasting machine and comes to church all the time. Ralph Morgan is a hero of mine. Written off plenty of times as dying. But he's still kicking. He doesn't miss a lick here. We defeat circumstances with eyes focused on the Lamb. Not on the vicious wind or the raging sea or the boat being overcome with water. But we overcome it by the word of God. Devil, you caused this tempest. But you're an idiot. Because the Messiah said, we're going from here to there. The simplicity of the gospel. Let's be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. After all, in grace, death has been abolished in us. And life and immortality have been brought to the light by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's watch what we say. If we mess up and contradict truth, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. The more we understand grace, the less and less those slip-ups should be. I'm desiring you guys more than I ever have. It's sad. It's only been 30 years. See, we define change by our progression. It's never meant to be like that, man. Colossians says, but now, but now. But now ye also, now immediately put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, evil communication out of your mouth. He said, but now there's no progression there. But now, like you put off fornication, you put off covetousness, now immediately upon regeneration put off anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, evil communication out of your mouth. You know what else he said? Don't lie anymore. Why? Because the problem's gone. Death has been abolished. The problem, don't tell me I'm praying in tongues to gradually not lie. No. You know how you stop lying? You're going to pay me for this one. Do you know how you stop lying? Tell the truth. Well, I'm, I'm still praying in tongues. Uh, no. It's called sin. There's no progression out of darkness, man. But now ye also, like you put off fornication, you put off covetousness, now ye also put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The problem's gone. Christ in you, oh, but glory's in you now. But Christ is all and in you all. That's the grace of God, man.
There's no progression out of anger. There's no progression. See, my progression, my stubbornness has taught me that it's a progression, not according to the Bible. My error has caused my progression. Mine has. <clears throat> I need to stop. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's only found in him. Yes, it's all by grace, true. But it's only through the grace that the gospel teaches. The gospel says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The gospel says, you shall know the truth, the truth to make you free from sin. The gospel says in John 8, he that follow me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The epistle says, he that's born of God, sinneth not, for his seed remaineth in him. Sinneth not means you don't sin habitually as a believer. The apostles found it strange to think that there'd be inconsistencies in the church because of the power of the rebirth, the dunamis power of the rebirth, along with fasting and praying in tongues and the limb of thanksgiving and worship. Man, things get easier and easier, but they're still doable even if they don't get easier. You with me on that statement? They get easier and easier but you can still do them even if it doesn't get easier. <coughs> Amen. Are you understanding grace a little bit more? Put out the buckets, Harry, Robert, or somebody, please. Under grace, death has been abolished. Wow. Think about that. Spiritual death in you has been abolished. It's non-existent. But life and immortality, incorruptible, everlasting life has been brought to light by the gospel. Under grace, you've received not a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. According to that power, we're called with a holy calling, not of works, but obedience to Christ in us, the hope of glory, walking our life with a pure conscience. Grace and mercy will be multiplied. That's why they wrote so freely about their martyrdom. Because great grace was added to their life. I want that kind of grace to finish strong, man. That whether I ever face martyrdom, that I can tell Harry and Gay and my wife, hey guys, finish strong. Finish strong, Harry. Love your wife like Christ loved the church, Harry. Finish strong. Robert, love your daughter. Love your wife, Bailey Robert. Finish strong. That's the way it should be. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Just real quick. I'm done. I'm, uh, he's, he's off me. No, just a little testimony about um, Bailey. I don't put much on Facebook because 
I guess I don't feel the anointing. I guess I can be mean again. There's just so much ignorance by Christians on, on Facebook. There's just so much ignorance. I'm just, I just need to completely delete it. But Bailey was something so powerful today about being a mother. Oh, my God. I was messed up all day long just in the presence of God. But then when I read Bailey's post, it's not a burden to be a mother. In the Old Testament time, mothers thought it was a curse not to have children. What she wrote was awesome. It's just awesome. It just broke me down. She's so excited about her child. She said, I can't wait to see my daughter being held in her dad's protective arms. Let's strengthen each other in the, in the faith, man. We're not each other's enemy. Yes, we all have issues. But don't magnify your issue by staying away from me because I got an issue. Because your issue is twice as bad as mine and vice versa. Harry and Sarah, they're cool. Sarah double dips. True Mexican. Harry stuck his fingers in my plate and ate. My kind of friend. Let's love one another. Amen. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah. The true grace of God. The true grace of God. In the, in the weeks to come, pastor's back this Sunday. He'll be here Wednesday. The following Sunday and Wednesday, I'm going to be preaching again. I'm going to continue with grace because I believe he's taking me somewhere for my betterment, for my intimacy. He's taking me somewhere. And some of you might be ahead of me on intimacy. I got no shame in that. We can learn from each other. But let's understand the true grace of God in which we stand. Amen. So, Father, we bless you. We thank you and we glorify you. And I thank you for the beloved. For every saint of God that I've turned my face against, that I've murmured about, that I've disliked. Forgive me, Lord. The manifestation of the kingdom will not be found in that. But it will be found when we love each other. Regardless of moats. If your moat, if their moat bothers me, Lord, I've acknowledged that I have a beam. And the beam is just a little bit bigger than a moat. So I thank you for your word. I thank you for this small church that believes in the manifestation of the kingdom. Take us, Lord, the transformation. Reveal to us those idols. Reveal to us our complacency. Reveal to us if we're self-centered, Father. And I think that your word reveals that to me as I'm understanding more and more the true grace of God in which we stand. I love you, Father. Thank you so much. I worship you. And I praise you. In Jesus' name. Uh, beloved said, amen. God bless you.